You are listening to the Life Reconstructed Podcast with me, Teresa Amaral Beshwaite, grief expert, best-selling author, and widow. I'm so glad you're here because in this and every episode, I shine a light on the widowed way forward. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Life Reconstructed Podcast. I'm involved in a business mastermind, and one of the benefits is having a private coach. My private coach a few weeks ago was Daryl Taylor. He gave me business coaching and shared his story with me, and I immediately invited him to be a guest on this podcast. Daryl coaches widowers, and he can be found at www.coachingyouthrough.com or on Instagram at coaching underscore you underscore through. That's T-H-R-O-U-G-H. In this episode, Daryl thoughtfully and articulately shares his story, his lessons learned, and what he wants you to know. Hello and welcome. I am so happy to introduce you to someone I only met recently. Daryl Taylor is a fellow coach and widower. Daryl, welcome to this episode. I'm so happy to have you. I am uh, thrilled to be here. I uh, have like since the first time we coached together, it's been just a uh, a really special and joyous experience. And um, yeah, so I'm appreciative that you asked me to be here and, and and thrilled to talk to some of your audience. Love it. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. Um. So uh, I am a, a certified life coach with the Life Coach School, and I coach uh, uh, on uh, in general life coaching. And I also am a business coach for um, a, uh, a business mastermind. But uh, the place where my heart is at is this, is in coaching widowers. My wife passed away due to breast cancer. She went through all the things, um, you know, double mastectomy. She was non-detect for a while. And then we had close to six years of chemo and the ups and downs that go with chemo. And then slowly over that time period, watching her health fail and fail to the point where uh, once the cancer metastasized to her liver, it was actually liver failure that were the symptoms that took her. Say her name. Her name is Alina. Uh, And I'll say her full name because she hated her middle name. Alina Maria Bravo Taylor uh, was her full name when she was with me. I love it. Let's honor them. Let's all say their names. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, and uh, she was um, a feisty and powerful and passionate woman. Uh, She swore she was five foot tall. We argued all the time about it. She was 4'11", maybe changed. (laughs) um, You know, that that thing they say about the short person syndrome, right? I mean, she just, you know, she made up for it in, in every other area of life. And so... For me and for my boys, we have uh, three children together. Uh, actually, two, technically. Uh, her stepson I met when he was five. His name is Max. Um, and uh, he's adult, out of the house. He's working. And then uh, there's the two boys we had together. Uh, Gael, who's uh, currently in his sophomore year in college, uh, studying theater and um, and acting. And then the youngest, who uh, still lives with me, and that's Pablo. And, um, and so especially for Pablo, all of his life was a life when his mom had cancer. There was never really a point where when she didn't. And we worked hard to to uh, to live as normal as possible during that time. And, you know, I'm open at this point to like admitting some mistakes. I think as a parent, you want to keep some of that away from 
the children. And I, I think there's good reasons for doing that. But at the same time, there there are some opportunities that may have been missed to sort of expose them to parts of it. Again, I, I, I don't know how that would play out, but, you know, it's one of the things that happens when you lose someone is you're always sort of rethinking, you know, what decision could have gone this way or that way, what would have been better, what might have been worse, you know. Absolutely. So, so how old were your boys when when Alina passed? Um, let's see. So Pablo is 11 now and she passed in 2020. So he was, do the math for me, seven. <laughs> Please don't make me do math. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gael is uh, 18 now, uh, so he would have been 15. And then Max is 30, so he would have been 27. Okay. So um, all the ages going there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's uh, fascinating as well because, you know, at each age, they've they've had a different experience with their mom. Uh, and... And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's like easier. I'm saying that it's different for each of them. And yeah, and and so, you know, Pablo, when I had to, I'll, I'll never forget, it was uh, when she passed, she was in hospice with us. And we were, uh, her mom wanted to be there. And so we were splitting time uh, between one of us sleeping with her and the other one uh, in the other room. And so I was in the other room that night with Pablo, the night before I was with her. And her mom woke up. You know, it was 637 in the morning and she's screaming, Daryl, Daryl, come. And I knew I knew what that meant, but it like part of my mind wanted to pretend it was some other medical emergency, right? Because we had the, the hospice nurse there. And I run in the room and and she's gone. One of the hardest parts of that whole experience, because by the time she was in hospice, we were preparing for her to die, right? But the 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 really tough part for me was having that conversation with the boys, you know, um, like so many other people who are, who are slipping away slowly. Uh, she had a rally point at one point uh, in the night. Uh, she was at a stage where uh, she couldn't walk on her own. She couldn't get out of bed on her own. She couldn't do a lot of basic functions on her own showering, you know, all those kinds of things. But she wakes up one night four in the morning, the nurse wasn't there that night and she's screaming. She couldn't speak, right, uh, for the, the last, you know, couple of weeks or so of her life. And she's screaming and she's like, my boys, my boys. And, you know, I was torn at that moment whether or not to grab them and call them all in or to just try to calm her down. I was afraid she was going to fall and hurt herself. And so uh, the youngest son was downstairs. We were in a three-level townhome, and or the, the middle son, Gael, was. And so I didn't wake him, but Pablo was in the other room. And so I called him in. Uh, it was almost like she couldn't see at this point. And she just kind of hugged him. And she didn't have hair. She had her, you know, the 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 chemo little spiky hair that she uh, that she had. And he just sort of hugged her and rubbed her hair. And she just hugged him. And that calmed her down. And we tried to have a moment where it was lighter. And, and I thank Pablo for coming in and, you know, told him how much his mom loved him and then I helped her get back into bed and it was two days later and she was gone. Listening so, to you speak about this, Daryl, I, I had such the opposite experience, such a sudden and completely unexpected passing of my husband. And as to quote our, our fellow coach, coach Pam, the grass mm. is always browner, no matter who you're talking to, <laughs> just like it, it just seems so gut-wrenching to hear you tell your story and you tell it so eloquently. Um, and I'm sure you've told it many times before but 
Not a lot. I, I haven't told the story a lot. You know, it's kind of funny. This is another thing about that that I I love about being a part of this club, and I, I mean that this uh, club of being a widower or someone who's lost someone, whether it's a spouse or a child or what have you, is uh, no one sits still for the story as long as other widowers do, right? I mean, most people want an exit pretty quickly, and and you can see it and you can sense it, and they it shows up in body language or in things that they say. So, um, you know, I relish the opportunity to tell uh, the story to to someone who has the capacity uh, and the interest to to listen. So that's just it, isn't it? That so many relationships that were meaningful can become less meaningful. And and so many conversations just seem so irrelevant after loss. And I don't know about you, but I am drawn to people who are deep and, and unfortunately yeah. so, yeah. right? They yeah. got there yeah. in very unfortunate ways, but yep. be in a room of a hundred people, I don't know. And I will find uh, in minutes, you know, mm-hmm. the person with the kind of depth that you just described. I think we need each other. Yeah. 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 For, for sure. Um, I, I think um, uh, some of those lighter issues and, 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 you know, uh, small grievances uh, just kind of wash over you. Right. And and the other thing I found that I think you're also alluding to is that um, when you find someone who's deep and if if you find someone who's been through some pain, whether it's a loss or some other sort of significant pain, I have found that it is almost like gravity. I am pulled towards that person and I want to lean into their story and I don't back away. I don't shy away. I don't wait for them to turn it off or to stop talking. I, I, I want more. Absolutely. So if you haven't found your people yet. I think what yeah. Daryl and I are saying is go find your people. Uh, you may need new people now mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. such a profound loss and go find your people. And and one way that that's very easy is through Soaring Spirits International. If you're a widowed person and you don't know about Soaring Spirits International, they're a wonderful organization that serve just widowed people. And um, they have so many, too many things to mention here, but um regional groups across the country and and some other countries too. Uh, Camp Widow, there's so many wonderful programs that they offer. So if you haven't found your people, please do, because it matters. It matters. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing about Soaring Spirits that I I have been enjoying is that um, you can sign up for a pen pal program. And you know, I absolutely love that piece because it becomes an opportunity. I hear so many other people's stories and and um, it, it's just a great way to connect with people who understand where you are and for you to give some comfort, some, you know, hold some space for, for what they've experienced as well. I don't know. I love the Pin Pal program. Daryl, tell, tell us who you are now as compared to who you were before mm-hmm. your loss. Who I am now. Well, who I, who I was then. Let's start there. So I, I think I was fairly typical. I, I started out, you know, uh, uh, needing to be, you know, trained at being the husband. I, I came out of, you know, grad school. I had my guy friends. We, you know, did football on Sundays. We, you know, drank and, uh, you know, played poker on the weekends. And I had to learn to be, you know, a husband, right? Uh, and and to show up as a spouse. And um, uh, my wife, she was a, a teacher, Um uh, taught elementary school and she, she taught me how to be a good husband. Um, uh, and, and we had a great relationship. Uh, 
I, I don't, I, I think it was very much like a lot of relationships. There were always things that we could work on and do better, but we had come prior to the cancer, we had come into a place where we were very comfortable with who we were as a couple and where we were going and that we didn't need to mimic other couples. And so I felt like that was a great space. And I was always a person who thought about deeper subjects and kind of a nerd and, and uh, 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 things of that sort. But I think the difference now is that that piece of me now feels far more compelled. It feels deeper, heavier than it did before. Uh, heavy, not in a sense of like a burden to carry, but heavier in that it's more substantial is what I'm saying. Well you know, I'm, I, and the other thing I, 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 I want to say about that is that sometimes we think, sometimes the language you, we use is to say, oh, how have you changed? Uh, and the idea is that you were something before and that something new has been added or something has been subtracted. And I don't view change quite that way. I think what happened is through this experience, I have probably become more of who I always was meant to be. And it's more of sort of shedding things mm. that had those parts of me covered up, right? And that's kind of the way I view change. Like who I am today is who I was then, but almost the way, uh, you know, like Michelangelo or someone would chip away at marble and find this sculpted piece there. That's the way I view change. Such a great example. Absolutely. And you, I'm guessing, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that you have felt misunderstood as a widowed person in this life. Do you want to mm. speak to that? Yeah. And, and it, it comes up uh, uh, multiple times. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. The The other day, my oldest son, uh, uh, the stepson, Max, we we sat down and we had coffee. We ended up hanging out for like almost six hours that day. And he brought up something that was quite interesting to me. And I, I felt it, but I, I don't think I knew specifically. When my wife passed that day and the family had come before uh, they were going to, to take her away, uh, the hospice folks and all, I, I was silent. Everyone else ran up to her and they they cried and they held her hand and they said things and they prayed and they did all these things. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but I just kind of stood there almost expressionless. And I realize now after talking to Max that that the family viewed that as, you know, why isn't he upset? You know, and I think what they miss is that there were so many nights when I was sleeping next to her when I would wake up and she was so quiet or still um, and I would grab and check her and check her heart. And I, so, I, I mean, I had been through that experience multiple times. And I think they sort of mistake that sort of numbness and that that process of accepting what it is that you've been resisting for so long, uh, at least in the case of losing someone slowly the way I did. I think it's probably a different experience maybe for some people that lose someone, you know, suddenly. But it wasn't until uh, we had to take her to um, to the coroner's vehicle. Uh, and what they do is they they wrap the body up and, and you know, you put her in blankets. And, and so it was a three-story condo. We had to carry her um, down, you know, three and a half flights of stairs. Uh, and it was the weight of carrying my wife down all those stairs and then putting her on a gurney that allowed all of that emotion that was stuck inside of me to re be released. And, and, uh, it wasn't even crying. It was wailing, you know, I uh, screaming. I don't even remember what I said. I fell on the floor and curled up in a fetal position, mm. you know, 
uh, for a few minutes until the family helped me up. Um, but it's those kind of moments that people see your reaction or they see things that you do or don't do, and they judge them by what they do and what they don't do. And, yes. and what it points to is that the experience of grief is unique. Yes. Right? Absolutely. If my grief doesn't look like your grief, it doesn't mean you're not grieving. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and then other things, uh, you know, um, her family, uh, they're all from Mexico. And so it was very important for them to have like a Catholic ceremony and to have other events. And for me, that was important because it was important to them uh, more so. But also it was it was something that was a point of misunderstanding as well. Right. They saw it as something that was necessary to help her transition on. And I didn't see it that way. Uh, and I was doing it for them. But because I wasn't showing up with the same energy, plus, you know, I I was not myself at the time. I mean, I, I didn't have uh, sort of the emotional bandwidth to do a lot of things that involve planning and these kinds of things. Yeah. So um, I think people not recognizing moments like that make it tough and it can create some long term misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you have something to facilitate those conversations. So absolutely. And how do you, I think so often parents want to, um, you know, put on the game face and be really stoic so as to not, you know, extra burden the kids with, with parents grief. But my sense is that you, you have figured out ways with your three boys at three very different ages to, to make grief normal and include mom. Talk about yeah. that, would you? You know, uh, one of the things uh, that has happened for me, I think that might be a little bit different is that my capacity for crying and weeping has increased. And so I encourage my boys, uh, especially the youngest one to do that, that that is something that uh, should not be resisted. It's something that should be leaned into. And in as much as I can, uh, uh, because Pablo's the only one that lives with me now, um, is to encourage him to have those moments when he is struggling to 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 really just create an environment where he can cry, where he can uh, say that he's upset when he can say, you know, I, I feel horrible because I can't remember what mom sounds like, right? And to have those moments and to say that that's all normal and that that's all healthy and to not make it something where he feels the need to, to be tough, to be strong, to deal with it. Uh, because that's not actually dealing with it. Dealing with it is is actually feeling those things and developing your capacity to feel more. Uh, and that's actually what's going to make you stronger. And that's what's actually going to allow you to take that experience and transform it into something positive in your life rather than some sort of wound or hole that never gets healed. Sure. What we resist persists. It's such yeah. a good lesson to know at a young age. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truth be told, I don't know that I'm doing a great job of it. I'm just trying, you know, I mean, I'm still just trying. So grieving is learning. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Yep. You've probably heard the quote, death ends a life, but not love. And it doesn't end relationship. Can you talk about ways that you've, you've continued to integrate and include Alina, not only in your life, but in your family's life? Mm, yeah. Yes. The, the, I, I feel that that's true so much. I, I don't know uh, that I've ever stopped loving Alina. I, I feel like I love her as much today as I did then. I feel, and this might sound crazy to someone who's not a widow, but I feel like I still have a relationship with her. Yes. I mean, right. Um, and, and 
I also feel like that relationship is still changing. It's growing. It's deepening in, in, in many ways. And I try to remind my boys of that as well. I think, you know, at all different levels, they're they're experiencing it in slightly different ways. But part of it is for them to figure out some way of living their life that would have uh, and will continue to honor their mom's memory. Uh, uh, she was very clear about expectations in terms of education and in terms of conduct. And so uh, the idea is to always carry yourself in that way. Uh, and you don't have to do exactly what she said, because you probably weren't going to do exactly what she said in life anyway. But the idea of of taking what she said seriously and making that your own and doing something that you and she would be proud of is, is extremely important. And for me, I've chosen to lean in in a more specific way. And so that's why my coaching has sort of shifted from coaching folks who are supporting someone who has cancer to coaching uh, widowers. That's why my shift in focus has gone in the direction of leaning into organizations like Soaring Spirits and, you know, podcasts like this. I, I want to do something very, very specific that uh, honors her name and her life and her spirit, right? And that's how I choose to do it. My boys don't have to do this, right? Sure. Um, but um, but certainly I, I want them to find a place uh, to do something in life that will carry that spirit through. Uh, I want them to maintain a relationship with their mom for their entire life, basically. Yes. And we're all a product of our, our society, which is not very grief savvy. So even if you are a widowed person, you might think that you should be um, moving on or leaving them in the past. And, and so Daryl so beautifully cleared that up just now, I think, and I wholeheartedly agree. And there's a lot of research on the concept of integrating your person as you go forward, going forward with them, bringing them forward. I love what you said, your relationship with Elena, your love for her is, is deepening even now. Oh yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you about what might seem contradictory, but we, as we know, isn't, I want to ask you about love again, loving after loss Yeah. in contrast with what you just said, a, a deepening relationship with Alina. So, yeah, I, 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 I still consider myself uh, a young man, at least in spirit. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, uh, and again, not just in terms of romantic love, but all forms of love, specifically with romantic love, I think a lot of us are going to find or or even seek out other people in life that we want to spend uh, our lives with. And one of the things that comes up is something that we talked about earlier, which is people misunderstanding that. I think even within the widow community, but certainly outside, is to think that at the point that you start dating or seeing someone, that you have moved on. I would have thought that. I would yeah. have. Yeah. 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 And and for me, I I am at a place where like I don't know what moving on looks like. I don't perceive myself as moving towards moving on. And so any relationship that I have uh, with someone else is going to be uh, a relationship that is going to include Alina in some way, right? And I, I don't parallel, right, right, yeah. Um, and 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 the other thing about it is that I I see it as something that I I hope that they don't view as threatening, because it's not as if there's an opportunity for us to get back together. It's just me having a relationship, still loving Alina but being able to love a new person as well. Whereas I think maybe for people who uh, might be divorced, it could be different because 
again, there is someone still there and, you know, who knows what happens with that relationship? Do they reconcile? Do all these other things happen? I think also like those relationships, we do bring certain baggage into the relationship. And I think we do have to be aware of that. So there's probably some work to be done there around, you know, coaching or therapy or whatever you need to do in order to work on yourself so that you can, you can show up in a relationship that, that is, um, in a way where you can be a, a, a counterpart and a compliment to someone. So uh, there's there's definitely work to do there. And I also think it's tricky because I think if you haven't done some of that work, it can really affect your new relationship in sneaky ways. One of the things I became aware of is that I had, and I think I, I still have a, a, a certain need to, to protect my boys from um, experiencing more pain. There's a part of me that felt strongly and still feel somewhat that they have experienced enough pain in life. And because of that, it's my job to make sure that they don't experience a whole lot of pain going forward because it's, they, they're, they're kind of topped out on suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and what I realize is that that shows up sometimes in how you parent. You know, you can, you can overprotect or you can be too easy or you can be all these other things that might not be what your kids actually need. And so you have to be on to yourself about those things. Not that I want to cause my children more suffering, but I still have to be a support, but I also have to be disciplined, right? I also have to be all the things that they need, uh, an example, all the things that they need in order to grow to be the the young men that I want them to be and the young men that she wanted them to be. So I think there is uh, uh, really an opportunity for some introspection there to see how you're showing up in other areas of life that that may be affected by your your experience. Absolutely. And there's no moral high ground here. There's no right or wrong. If you end up having a romantic relationship or simply companionship or none of the above, mm -hmm. like there's no right or wrong. But I just want to talk for a minute about expanded capacity. Mm. The, the way I see it is that my Ted, my late husband, Ted had a hundred percent of my capacity to love at yeah. that time. And right. you who has three boys certainly knows this well, right? We get new capacity yeah. right. to love. And so the, the new person, should you choose to love in a romantic way again, like the new person gets all that new capacity. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's like having multiple children or, or lighting a second candle, right? Yeah. The first candle still burns bright. So yes, a, a dear friend said to me, Teresa, love is, is eternal, which that part I understood, but mm -hmm. then he said, and it's infinite. And yeah. that part I had to think about, this is my dear friend, Dr. David Gobble. I'm going to mention him here. I cherish our friendship. I had to really think about the infinite part. And he was saying this to me well before I could even think about right. loving right. again. But he said, love is eternal and infinite. And I've never forgotten those words. Yeah, I think some people view it. Uh, and and I, I've experienced this with, uh, you know, my my in-laws, I think some people view it as you have a hundred percent love for, for your, your spouse or your loved one. I, I had a hundred percent love for Alina. Uh, and then if someone new comes into my life, I have to shave off some of that and leave Alina with 30% and they get 70 or some kind of, right. And, and the maths don't work that way with no. love. No. Right? I mean, it's possible to have a hundred percent for Alina, a hundred percent for the new person, a hundred percent for all three boys. Absolutely. Right? It's not typical math. Yes. Um, and I think some people are afraid of that as an equation. They, they, they don't, like you said, it's, it's infinite, 
right? And they fear, I think, that maybe it isn't infinite, that you have to borrow from one and give to another. Yep. Yeah. We fear so much. We fear we fear not feeling miserable because we we might get that mixed up with that being our only connection with our person. Yeah. Right? Or there's so much that we fear that we make mean we're letting go. Mm-hmm. Which, to your point, let's be onto ourselves. Does that really mean letting go? Let's be our own best devil's advocate when we have thoughts like that. Like, I won't let go of my grief because that's my only connection to you. Let's think about that. Like, what if that's not true? How could the opposite be true? Yeah, one thousand percent, absolutely. And you know, yeah, certainly you can continue to experience your grief in in whatever ways that you do. Uh, but it it doesn't have to be the only uh, connection, as you said. You know, you can have connections that are more uh, positive and more fulfilling. And and I I say that as a as a sort of a, a a quirk in the wording because I I don't really view grief as sort of a a negative connection. I think that there's I think that there's a lot of positives because I think that that's the human condition where we should grieve, right? Yes, yes. It's the misery and the suffering we want to look at. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Those things that shut you down, that close you off from experiencing life, the things that leave you, you know, in a dark room, unable to show up, afraid to feel, right? All those things are not positive. But I, I don't think that those things are necessary uh, components of long-term grief, of grieving, right? Yeah, yeah, they are not your connection to your person, even though your brain might suggest that they are, right? Right. right. Yeah. You trust yourself in saying that you have to feel bad in order to recognize them. Oh, I had the thought for a long time. If you're not miserable, then you didn't love him enough. And I believed it, Daryl. And I practiced that thought and it just seemed true. And I I didn't know then that we shouldn't believe everything we think and that we could question our thoughts and, and be our own best devil's advocate. So I just assumed it was true and held myself to that standard for a really long time before I knew coaching. You know, you mentioned the boys. I wanted to uh, just touch on something with them, you know, and it comes up because of this is that there are moments when we we get to laugh about things that happen uh, with their mom, right? And and to make that part of that experience that they have, just the way you make part of the experience that they have, the the moments where they get to 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 cry and be sad because they, you know, I mean, we're coming up on the holidays. Uh, October is... Uh, the month that she died, uh, you know, May is her birthday month. All these holidays come up and these moments come with a mix of emotions for them, but also for them to be able to just laugh about stories that we, uh, we we've told, uh, to laugh about habits that she had, right? That's also part of, of helping them to sort of honor uh, and remember their mom in a way that will move them forward in life. So. So true. The duality for me, I had never experienced duality until life after loss, or at least I didn't notice it. But my goodness, in life after loss, you have two feelings happening at once, and they both feel so equally true. And you would think that they're in conflict with each other, but they're, but to me, that was very disorienting. And now it's still not comfortable. But when I'm in those moments, I go, yeah, this is the part one. I feel in- incredibly happy and profoundly sad at the same time. Yeah. And, and I don't fear those moments. I, I mean, when when you describe that, I almost get like this sort of warm, like hug type feeling over me that I can experience life that is that complex and that rich. I think mm-hmm. in some ways people are, and again, I'm not wishing this on anyone, but I'm saying that some people are missing out because they haven't developed that capacity for duality and and, and experiencing two different, very different things at the same time. 
and having them both have equal meaning. And, and uh, I appreciate my life being able to do that. Right. So. Yes. The degree to which we can feel the uncomfortable feelings is, is also expands our ability to feel and be present for, and not miss the comfortable. Right. Yeah. Right. It all expands. And, and it, it also, again, in the space of coaching and, and teaching is it gives me the capacity to, to really have a container for people who are suffering, like regardless of what their suffering is, it doesn't cause me to recoil. It doesn't cause me to back away. And this duality piece allows me to both listen and feel and sympathize, empathize, but also to feel love and to feel hope and to know from my own experience that this is how you're experiencing things in this moment. But I know, I don't know what it looks like, but I know there's a path forward for you, right? To, to hold both of those things at the same time and to be able to offer that to someone is, um, you know, I, it's a gift. Biggest gift anyone gave me was to, two parts to it. One, accurately see my whereabouts, mm-hmm. which is a gift. And then two, choose to not attempt to fix anything, but instead spend time with me in exactly that spot. To me, that was the biggest gift and the most healing instead of someone, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, trying to coax you toward yeah, what yeah. they think should be the next right. phase. It's such a gift to to see people as they are and be with them. Yeah. And and to not for that person that tries to coax you as well, just to to understand that 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 is a perspective that they have because they don't fully understand. Yes. Right. And to and to not and, and you don't judge that person. You know what they're trying to do. They mean well. Yes. Right. But they just haven't developed the past, the capacity, the language or the experience to say, you know, nothing needs to be fixed here. Everything's fine. Absolutely. And to your point, Daryl, about, you know, I know there's a path forward. So I I don't know a widowed person who knows the whole way. Like you just take kind of the immediate next step that sort of makes sense, right? Because we can't connect the dots until we're looking retrospectively. And then the dots do indeed connect. Yeah. Yeah. They make perfect sense. Retrospect. Yeah. It's more of just a knowing. Uh, It's not actually seeing a particular path, but it's just more of knowing that, that this is, or belief even that this is how life works, right? There is a path for it. I don't know what it looks like for you. Right. But it's something that we could discover together. It's something that you can discover on your own, but it is there. Yes. Right. And l- let us not try to see the whole picture because we don't get to, but let's focus on the immediate next yeah. step. Yeah. 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 And, and that's another thing about uh, my experience as a widow. I am so much more comfortable with the unknown, mm. right. With not knowing, with not having all the answers, right. To, to, to live in that space where I don't have all the answers or where I don't have all the control. I feel much more comfortable in those environments than I ever have. So interesting. Tell me, Daryl, what do you want fellow widowers to know? I, I want them to know that uh, that everything that they are seeing, feeling, and experiencing is okay. I want them to know that they are not wrong and how they've done anything or not done anything. I want them to be compassionate and and uh, and forgiving and full of grace for themselves and for the people in their lives that that don't get it, that that are having a different experience with grief. I want them to know that help is available when they need it. I know for me, one of the things that I really had to to get better at is to ask for help when I needed help. One, recognize when I needed help, but then two, 
ask for help when I need it. And and then the third step was to receive the help because sometimes <laughs> the help came and I would still, yeah. yeah. Separate part. Yeah. Separate part. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 I think that, uh, I want people to know that. And, and I think that they should also know that life can get better in, in many amazing ways, even with the loss of someone that they, that they loved and that they were going to spend the rest of their life with, you can still have that amazing life, that experience. You can still create all of those things. They might not look the same, might be different plans, but you can create that environment still, right? You don't have to let go of those dreams because this person is gone, right? Yes. You you can you can recreate them in a new context, in new ways that both honor that person, honor you, and and, and give you the opportunity to 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 pass it on. In my case, to my children, and to to you know anyone else who will listen. Absolutely, which. So tell us this, how do folks reach you? Uh, maybe a widowed, a widower who would like your coaching and support. How can someone find you, Daryl? Yeah, uh, I'm on Instagram at coaching you through. That's coaching with the letter U through. Uh, and then my website is the same, coaching you through.com. Uh, those are R-O-U-G-H. Yes, yes. Yeah, those are the two best ways to reach me. Uh, you can DM me or and my emails on the website and my phone number. So uh, all of that's available. Okay, terrific. And I will put that in the show notes too for folks who would like to follow up. Daryl, thank you so much for being mm-hmm. a guest. I, I, Our conversation to me is so deep and, and interesting and fulfilling. And I think the listeners will find the same. So thank you. No, thank you for uh, creating this opportunity. I uh, This experience with you is always like that, what you said about duality. I have, even in this moment, I have this sense of sadness and, 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 and missing of Alina uh, and, and that loss. But I am at the same time just so happy to get to be able to talk to her and to talk about her and to share people, share with people that experience. And so, um, um, yeah, so thank you for uh, allowing me to have uh, this moment as well. My pleasure. If you found this podcast helpful, I invite you to join Life Reconstructed, my coaching program exclusively for widowed people. It will help you step forward toward a life you will love again. Simply go to thesuddenwidowcoach.com and click work with me.